This is Liga Day, Saturday at Woodstock. When people knew were forced to get off of home base, we thought it was too dangerous. They said too many people are getting hurt. There were 10 people that were taken off site. A lot of people have been talking about these fires, but it was so much more than that. Podcast 99. Welcome to a very special edition of Podcast 99. I'm Ryan Lichten, and today I'm doing this all by my damn self. On this show, we have had several guests, many of which we consider to be survivors in our Survivor Stories series, and we always wanted to get someone as close to the beef of the story as possible. I mean, we want that out of all of our guests, and all of our guests have been important in their own ways, but we really wanted someone kind of focal to the kind of behind the scenes, if you will. And what we realized was that there was one name that has come up on our show almost as many times as Fred Durst. And so we reached out to that person and we happened to got to interview them. And it's an amazing thing. And I am, of course, talking about our guy, our East Stage announcer, Big Raspy, a.k.a. Brother Wheeze. You know, when we when we started the show, none of us were familiar with who Brother Weez was. He's a you know upstate New York based radio personality. You know, he's he had a, a short lived you know TV show, but back in the day, and it just, he just wasn't on our radar. So it took some time for us to actually figure out who he was. And so we reached out, we got him on the show, and we're gonna go ahead and listen to that interview right now. So enjoy it. This is me and my conversation with Brother Weez. All right, guys, I am here with the legendary Brother Weez, a legendary radio personality, television personality, all-around personality, and a Woodstock alumni. Uh, you know, he went to all three. Uh, we're very happy to have you on the show. You are a major part of the Woodstock 99 story. Woodstock, were you there? No, I, I was about 10 years old. I'm just, I just grew up on all that music, and so... Unfortunately, that was my generation's Woodstock, and it's kind of interesting to go back and kind of see everything that went down and why, you know? Well, you're talking, uh, this is more about Woodstock 99? That's correct. All right, so that's the one uh, where, where we had the fire. That's the burn the joint down one, right? Absolutely. Yep, that's that's why we're talking about it. <laughs> and... Uh, and on this show, what, what me and my, my co-host have done, he, he's not with us today. It's easier just to do it this way. But uh, we, we've watched every single set of every band that played. And when you watch those, every band that played on the East stage, you hear your voice first or see you. And so you just became this, this figure because I grew up in Southern California. He grew up in Georgia. So we weren't familiar with you. And so it took us a while to, to, to kind of figure out who you were. And I'm glad we you know, were able to get a hold of you. So when... I mean, you you went to the original Woodstock. Briefly, give us kind of the the highlights of that. I mean, I know you you just got out of the war, correct? Uh, you broke up a little bit. I, yeah, I, let's see. I got I got out of the service. Uh, I came home from Vietnam in '68, and uh, of course that was '69 Woodstock. Right, and so when when. Woodstock was originally announced, the original one. I mean, was it something like that you were actually excited for, or was it more of like, oh, this is a big thing, we should go be a part of it, or were you very excited about the music and you knew it was going to be this kind of monumental deal, or did it just seem like another concert? Well, to be factual, what happened was I was living in Philadelphia at the time, 
and I was involved with a musical community. And I had already been to a festival in Atlantic City called the Atlantic City Rock or Pop Festival, and it was pretty hectic and crazy. And they were advertising Woodstock uh, all over the place as three days of peace and love in the idyllic woods of Woodstock, New York. And to be completely honest with you, me and my wife, at the time, <laughs> right. uh, thought that it would be a, a really a different look than where we just were. And so we went up on a motorcycle from Philadelphia on Thursday before the show. And, uh, you know, the rest is history, but I was there more by accident. Not by accident, on purpose to, for the music and the peace. The, the peace part didn't happen. Right. Well, yeah. And I mean, from my understanding and from, you know, from just videos and everything, Woodstock, the original one seemed to get kind of gross and nasty. And and that kind of set the stage for the other Woodstocks that would follow. So you also went to Woodstock 94 as well, you said. I I was the MC of Woodstock 94 and 99. Okay, so how, how does that go about? I mean, obviously, we're skipping a huge gap of time here. I could listen to your stories all fucking day, by the way. Uh, you know, especially, I'm sure, the 70s and 80s were full of great Brother Wee's material there. But, so, 94 is happening. Did that have the feeling that it was going to be this big cultural landmark like the original one ended up being? Or did it just seem, again, like just a huge gig? Well, I mean, I, you know, a, a really good friend of mine who I worked with in the concert business in the uh, when in the mid seventies to mid eighties was the guy that was the main producer of ninety four and ninety nine, and he asked me to be the MC. Is that John Sher? Yes, was a, a good friend of mine, a great guy. So yes, it was John Sher. So you know, I went up there. Uh, and brought a buddy of mine who wasn't involved with this kind of crap. And that was not a bad show. They, at that show, I, sometimes I get the two mixed up, 94 and 99, because, you know, I was just working the gigs. And uh, and I think 94 was the one where I was the MC on the main stage. And uh, a buddy of mine was a comedian you may have heard of, Rich Voss, that's 99. Yeah, 99, he was on the West stage. You were on the East stage. Well, that's 99. It's funny because I called his stage the hippie stage, which is the one I wish I was on for the music, and I was on what I called the hate stage. Which was <laughs> the big, that was the big main stage uh, with more hateful music, not as much hippie stuff. But in 94... That's the one. Uh, that's the that was the mud one, and 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 you know it was nothing like. Neither one of them were, of course, anything like Woodstock '69. Nothing like. Right. And I feel like, I mean, that I think it just has to do with the way that people remember them and, and the way it all came about. You know, the original ones seemed to be kind of organic, whereas 94 and 99 were these well-oiled machines. I don't know if you'd agree. Um, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So let's get to 99. Your, your approach to, to, to do this thing. 
uh, you, you've already done one, so, so you've already cut your teeth emceeing one Woodstock. When you got to the grounds and you and you realized it's had an Air Force base, what were kind of your what was your feelings about where it actually took place and kind of the logistics? Well, that didn't bother me at all because of my friendship with John Cher, and uh, we actually did my morning show, my whole crew uh, from the Air Force base, and, and you know the thing started at three. It was uh, you know it was definitely not an uh, compared to Woodstock. Compared to 69, it was in a, a field. You know, this was on an Air Force base, but they did have the Quonset huts for other kind of wacky shows and late night activities. I think a lot of young people had a good time, but, you know, the commerciality, you know, pissed off kids for the high price of water and all that stuff. And then, you know, what happened at the end? But as far as the music was concerned, you tell me, you watch it, that, you know, a lot of it is not my, uh, not the stuff I like. Hey, I'll be honest with you, I'm an old dude, you'd have to remind me of the bands and I'll be able to say what happened. All right. Yeah. Okay. Great. That. Yeah. That brings me to the next point. Uh, I mean, you said that the bands on the other stage interested you more. I mean, that's like Mickey Hart and Bruce Hornsby and yeah. and, and and that kind of stuff. Um, and it's interesting because Bruce Hornsby, while he's on stage, mentions his friendship with John Sher. So John Sher's just got a lot of good buddies. Uh, it's turning out. So what what bands? I mean, can you rem- like? Did you like? Uh, so on the East stage, you know, the most famous band in the story of Woodstock 99 is Limp Bizkit because they had that crowd go so crazy. And you actually come out, you're on the on the pay-per-view. After their set, you come out and you say, it's getting a little bit scary out there, guys. Everyone calm down. Uh, well, wait a minute. See, here's the problem, bro. Because I mixed the two up, you're going to have to help me because one of them, uh, just before Rage Against the Machine, uh, I was eating... I was actually taking a break and I was in a, a tent backstage eating dinner. And all of a sudden I got paged. And I said to the guy I was eating with, who was a promoter, who the fuck, what, what do they want me for? What, the, what could they pop? So I had to go back to the stage. And what happened was somebody fell off of the tower where the soundboards were in the middle of the field. And the, they wouldn't let the stretcher get through. And they put it to me to separate the clouds so they could get the stretchers through. And Rage Against the Machine was the next group. But I don't know what the group was before them. Maybe it was... It was Limp Bizkit. Was it? Yep, yep, yep. Well, well, that's why you heard me say stuff's getting crazy. Only because a guy felt, you know, they they wouldn't part. Right. So a stretcher could get this guy out of there. So from the stage, from your point of view, because right after Rage Against the Machine then was Metallica, and that was kind of the big three heavy acts of the whole festival kind of back-to-back. Um, did you notice, I mean, from the stage, could you tell the crowd getting kind of more and more ornery, or were there any moments from the stage looking out where you're like, oof, it's kind of brutal out there? Well, I hate to let you down. I, uh, I did not notice much of that. Did not <laughs> notice. You couldn't see... But me, you know, I, I I gotta tell you, people that work in concert business, you know, it's not as fun for us. It was fun. It's fun to be around music. I wouldn't be there if I didn't love music so much. I mean, it's my life. But you know, for somebody like you, that show in particular would be, you know, you're looking at the crowd. 
I've seen too many crowds to want to be staring at them. Right. The one in '94. You know that was that's when they were throwing bottles. I don't know if you ever watched that and if they showed it. Oh yeah, well, the Kid Rock at Woodstock '99, yeah. he had everyone throw bottles up on stage as well, and it like covers the sky because the sanitation was just at. It was the worst of the three. Because uh, from my understanding, a lot of people on the grounds that were hired to pick up the trash ended up quitting and just taking off their uniforms, and now they're at Woodstock. But um, uh, other acts that played on the stage that you were on, we're talking like Cheryl Crow, The Offspring, DMX. Um, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, obviously the head, the headliner. Creed, uh, the, 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 there were so many. But again, you're in all these videos, and it's funny because uh, there was tons of nudity at Woodstock '99, and obviously, you know, Woodstock '99 is notorious for the sexual assaults that were reported uh, from the crowd. I mean, were you seeing a lot of uh, what we call shoulder titties on the show? You know, just the the, the bare breasts on oh, the guy's yeah. shoulders. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But I gotta tell you something as you tweak to my memory. When Red Hot, I had like a little, I called it an office. Right behind the curtain from the stage, I had a space they made for me and my pregnant wife at the time. And uh, we were sitting there and all of a sudden, you know, the next band would always chew up where I was. And all of a sudden, there was Flea completely naked, <laughs> hanging out the whole thing. Sits down on a metal chair next to my wife. And, you know, on those kind of stages, they're made with pipes, and there's people up higher that are all looking, you know, there's a lot of gawking going on. Right. But, you know, that was, uh, you know, that that was the fire thing, and uh, we already, we had a big party planned. Uh, John Sher was throwing a big party backstage for everybody after this program. But we ended up having to get police escorts out of there. After, you know, that was no party. We had to get police escorted out because of the fires and whatever the hell you want to call what was going on. Was that scary? I mean, having the benefit of being backstage, was there still, like, panic? Or was it kind of like a everybody kind of file out kind of deal? Nah, nah. I mean, it was just everybody. We were just coming that we didn't get the party. It was, you know, no big whoop, that's for sure, to get out of there. But, you know, I did see, I, once again, it's going to make, I'm an old dude, and I, I mix up the 94 and 99. So, uh, you know, was Bob Dylan 99 or 94? That's 94. Yeah, 99 got uh, Limp Bizkit instead. <laughs> I, oh, that, that's something that, uh, that you like. But, you know, I like <laughs> the Cheryl Crow, uh, Almond Brothers, which year? That's 94. Yeah, that's what I <laughs> yeah, no, you got all the good stuff. I mean, 99, we got all the, the, the shit that was just whatever was on MTV for the most part, you know? 94 well, had, had class. Which year was Nine Inch Nails? That was 94. That was even 94? Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> I remember, I remember uh, you know, being on the stage all that time that uh, the, the keyboard player, is, that's, a, that's not... What's his, is that, who's Trent Reznor, who's he play with? Uh, that's Nine Inch Nails, yeah, he, he's the singer, and, and he plays other stuff in, in the group as well, but he's, yeah, the, he's the singer. Cats, those dudes, those dudes were some weird cats, but I want to <laughs> tell you, I want to tell you, in 94, all of the, that was the first one I went to be the MC. and in 94, all the MCs that John Cher hired quit on the first day. 
because it was, you know, I, and I would have quit if it wasn't for my loyalty to John. But I said I had to stick it out because that's when people were throwing shit and carrying on and bad. So they flew in a whole bunch of comedians, uh, Tom Arnold, uh, even Chris Farley. Uh, I'm trying to remember some other ones. A good buddy of mine named Kevin Meany. You can Google him. He was a great comedian. He was covering it for HBO, and he couldn't get backstage, and he saw me. We're really good friends. And uh, he said, please, get me backstage. And I said, bro, if you put me on HBO, I'll get you up here on the stage. <laughs> and, and he did, and uh, we did a little piece. But he's, he has since died at, at 60 years old. Great, great, great guy. Man, yeah, you know, I should have come prepared with more '94 uh, questions for you. It seems like that was, that that was the no, no. I mean, it's great because because we don't, you know, we spent so much time on on this one. But I mean, so that's that's cool that that, that you got to do that with one of your friends at '94 because at '99 you guys had guests as well. Like uh, you introduced Rosie Perez out at one point and Steve Baldwin, yeah. Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, we hung out with all those people. Uh, Rosie, I was still enamored with for White Men Can't Jump. But uh, in 99, you tell me some more bands and I'll give you that were on the big stage and I'll tell you what happened. Oh, yeah. We got, uh, let's see, Tragically Hip was on the big stage oh. live. Um, well, tragic, Tragically Hip, I had a fun time uh, introducing because they were early and all the Canadians, they're from Canada, and uh, all the Canadians were piled up in front. That, that's their band. Right. That was fun. Yeah, like so, so. You had that one. I mean, I, I can actually remember some things that you said. Like at one point, you point out this is during Jewel, I believe it is, and and you introduced Jewel. But before, some guys have a a blow up doll in the front, yeah. and, and you're and you're mentioning how that blow up doll seemed to be getting a lot of use. Uh, that I, I don't know if you remember seeing blow up dolls. Uh, there's actually a few on both stages. But yeah, Jewel play Elvis Costello. What was another one? Uh, yeah, Will, let me tell, you know, I'll tell you something about Elvis Costello. I thought for sure he was going to get booed off the stage and people would throw shit at him. It was just him and, a, and another guy. And, you know, at this rock festival, I mean, Elvis is great talent. But the people accepted it and tuned in. And it was really strange to me that he, he pulled it off like that. Well, and I, it's, I think what we talked about on the show, because we were talking about that, too, because I think right before him was Brian Setzer Orchestra, so there was some high-energy yeah. stuff going on, and then it tones yeah, down. Yeah. But he was in yeah. Austin Powers 2, which at the time was the biggest movie on the fucking planet. So it, I think maybe there was a little bit of a leniency given to Elvis since he was in Austin Powers. Uh, and also Vern Troyer was there, Mini-Me, from Austin Powers. He well, introduced a band. You probably uh, wait, ran into wait. him. Wait, wait, wait. I can't believe you just brought him up, because... For some reason, when you were talking, not only did I, you know, I, I wanted to carry him out, <laughs> and, and, and I think I did, I don't know if it's on video or not, I'm pretty sure I said, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very, very, very special guest, and I introduced him as Michael Jackson, and then he comes out. <laughs> but, uh, he said, that was another weird dude, and all the people that worked the show, were housed at the Turning Stone Casino and Resort. So we would go back there at night and had nice rooms at Turning Stone. Oh, lucky you. Yeah, well, so, so we're working. And, and uh, 
I'll never forget seeing Mini Me uh, Vern Troyer playing blackjack with a <laughs> sitting there at the blackjack table, and that kid could get drunk on like uh, a drink and a half. Oh yeah, well, uh, you know, then then he started getting it started taking more for a little Vern to get drunk, and that ended up killing him. Rest in peace, Vern Troyer. That's amazing, actually. Seeing Mini Me playing blackjack uh, after Woodstock '99 is my idea of heaven. That's what happens when I walk through the pearly gates. I'm in that casino with you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you weren't with me, but you weren't old enough. Yeah, yeah, you don't want little. You don't want me around you in a casino, period. Let alone when I was ten. But um, so did, did you, when you were there and you're and you're coming to and fro, did you see like the tent city or anything, or, did, or were you ever on the grounds? Did you ever cruise around, or, or was you, were you just kind of in the in the chill zone? Well, was it, was it the backstage at, at shows like that are huge. You know, it's a great big giant area with many tents, RVs, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, I'm a, I was an old guy then. You know, I had no interest in having to go out there for any reason, Right. unfortunately. Well, no, yeah, I mean, why, why, why would you, you know? So, and no, nobody else I knew back there did either. Right. What was there any like? uh, I mean, this is probably just so far fetched, but I have to ask: Was there any like drama or anything backstage that you can remember? Any any kind of, you know, or debauchery or or anything like that worth mentioning? Well, there's always the debauchery, but the only drama uh, I remember two dramas, but they were both from '94, unfortunately. Let's hear them. Well, one was Andy Dick. I think it was '94, was it? Well, he he actually performed. He might have been at ninety four, but he definitely performed on stage on the West stage at ninety nine. Oh, and, and everyone hated it. He was getting booed off the stage. He was showing his dick in his butthole and stuff. Well, anyway, so the dude, him and I had a little argument when he first showed up, and then I, he pulled his dick out, and the chick that works for John Sher says to me, "Kick him out. Kick any <laughs> dick out of here." So I never did it, and later on I said, Deborah, what are you, what are you, you still want me to say? And she, all of a sudden he must have sweet-talked her, but he's a fucking asshole. And, and the only other thing that we called that was any problem was Bob Dylan was late, 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 and uh, made people wait so long. And then when he gets there, they pull his truck right up to the stage and they all... He had Hell's Angels with him all. Huge entourage. And the funny <laughs> thing was that Bob Dylan, of all people, didn't care who stood on the stage while he was playing. Oh, so he had like a ton of people up there? Yeah, but also anybody else. If I, you know, me, eight people I could fight up, he didn't care. And other bands are picky with that shit. Right, we call them uh, stage potatoes, and like for instance, like uh, certain bands like Limp Bizkit or Kid Rock, they had so many people on stage. Um, let's see, another big band that, that was, that's major to the 99 story is Korn, because so many people got hurt during their set because the mosh pit was so intense. Um, that was the first day, and also James Brown played on that day as well. He opened the whole thing. I don't know if you remember anything about James Brown p- performing, but uh, and also the weather I, I was just terrible that whole time. I, I, I've been reading, you know, it was in the hundreds. I mean, do you remember anything like that? Or again, were you kind of protected from that in the chill zone? Yeah. No, I mean, hot, hot. But I, you know, uh, I spent three trips to Vietnam. That couldn't bother me, but I felt very bad for the participants, for the kids that were there. 
you know, because they're out there vacant. We we have all the protection, fans. We have air conditioned dressing room. We got everything back there. So I, I felt guilty and bad for those kids. That's about it. Right. So a lot of the times when you watch, especially during like the daytime sets in the videos, the security guys, the Peace Patrol, as they were known, uh, are yeah. spraying everyone with hoses and, and yeah. all that because everyone was so hot and there were so many people treated for heat exhaustion. Uh, you know, with everything said and done, do you feel like that the, that it was misplanned as far as, you know, the amount of water that was available or resources available and the price gouging that ended up occurring because of that? I mean, did, did you have any thoughts on that stuff? Well, my thoughts will not be accepted by people, but my thoughts were there might have been some price gouging, especially for water, but people that bitched about the prices, you gotta understand, John Sher, I'm not gonna tell you the numbers, but some of these bands got a million dollars, bro. You, the, the, the whole production and the bands themselves is an astronomical piece of money. And when people put their ass on the line to, to, to stage these events, you know, they're hoping to get out alive and maybe make a few bucks. It's a ton of work, a ton of work. And, and so, you know, I sound like a dick because regular people, of course, don't see it that way. They just see this is bad. But, you know, you can't do it without the cake. Right. You can't do it without the, you can't do it. There's no other way to do it. Maybe the water thing was bad, and uh, but you still have to charge a certain amount of money. It all gets figured out beforehand when you see what the outlay is going to be. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. So that brings me kind of to, to the next part here, and we, you know, we'll, we'll wind it up a little bit. So you're going back to the hotel room. You know, the, you guys have to basically get evacuated. You know, for lack of a better term, uh, out of out of the backstage. And now, I mean, did you guys watch it on TV or anything, or turn on the news, or, or the next day? I'm sure you heard, you know, about all that stuff. What was kind of the overall feeling, you know, with, with you? Or have you talked to John Cher about it? I mean, what, what was kind of like? Oh shit, they burned down Woodstock. What's your kind of takeaway from that? Or, or why? Do you think that happened? Well, it happened because the kids, first of all, at the other, at the woods, you know, when they threw bottles at the bands, it was a regular thing. And I was, once again, I was having dinner with some of the people that worked for John. And I go, I don't get it because I was at 69 Woodstock. So, you know, this, this is Woodstock, even though it isn't. And I said, why do these fucking kids have to throw bottles? And my friend Jim McDonald, uh, who's in the business forever, said, I think it's because they want to be part of this show. Like, if they hit a guy, it's a cool thing. Don't forget, these are plastic bottles. You know, they're the water bottles. Right. And, and I, I, you know, I didn't understand that. But as far as the burning the joint down, you know, uh, some kids got frustrated and they wanted to be assholes. Uh, they made it bad. It was a terrible thing. And uh, But it's something to talk about later. And whoever did that shit, all these years later, they could say, guess who started that motherfucker? Me. So, <laughs> right, yeah. But, but they're infamous. It was, it was a bummer because 94 at least, you know, nothing like that happened. Now 99 uh, at the Air Force Base, boom. Right. And do you think that maybe, I mean, and we disagree with it. We don't think this on our show. We've kind of 
have our own reasons for why, you know, because it's a big, big puzzle of why everything melted down the way it did. You know, nothing just clicks like that. But uh, the music was blamed a lot uh, in the press. I mean, they, like they said that the music and kind of just the overall atmosphere just presented the opportunity and almost encouraged that kind of behavior. Do, do you think that the music had anything to do with it? It had the festival only been the West stage with just the hippie stuff. Do you think that still would have happened had anything, everything else been the same? I gotta tell you, what's your name, bro? Ryan. Ryan, you you do a very smart rap because at the beginning of your question, I'm going no, the music didn't have shit to do with that. I mean, you know, I mean, granted, the Chili Peppers played fire, but that was after they started the fire. They didn't encourage the fire. There was already a fire, and I was gonna say no, but then when you put forth. That do I think if it was just like the hippie stage music, would that happen? And I can't lie, it's just my opinion, but I do not think it would have happened. Right. I don't. I think it's just the kind of people it attracts, not so much the music itself, but it's just right. the it's just the attitude of the people, you know. There's a lot of jocks there, a lot of a lot of dicks that showed up and right. gate crashers and, you know, titty grabbers and, and you know, people that did worse stuff and I think it just provided them with a soundtrack, you know, it didn't necessarily change them as a human, it just kinda gave them the, the pump up music. Well it's a great observation that uh, you just taught me. <laughs> well, I, I, you heard it here first, folks, on Podcast 99. I taught Brother Weiss the thing. <laughs> but the, so do you think now, having gone to all three Woodstocks, you know, of course, the yeah. fourth one was is kaput. That's not going to happen. Right, 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 right. But do you think that there is any correlation between the three? Like, is Woodstock 99 anywhere near as important as the other two? Or is Woodstock 94 and 99 kind of just this? That's a, a copy of a copy, you know, and only 69 matters. Or is it part of the lasting legacy in a in any kind of way well i personally think the answer to that question lies with people like you this is your thing this 99 but in reality the uh, 69 the whole thing you've seen the movie you've seen the documentaries you know the whole thing those guys lost a ton of money everything was fucked uh, the music didn't go everything was bad but uh, it was a legendary situation. Trying to do it two more times, each one of those was just a commercial venture, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it was just commercial ventures and trying to do, you know, a big outdoor festival, a really, really big festival. And, uh, they, you know, it's funny. I was just remembering Wavy Gravy. Do you know who he is? Oh, yeah. So Wavy Gravy had been on my radio show a few times, and then, he, you know, all of a sudden, he was going to be my cohort at Woodstock 99. Of course, he had a lot to do with uh, uh, 69. So Wavy's there, and the poor bastard, you know, <laughs> looking for a, another hippie event from, like, 69, man, that was some rude shit that he was having to see. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was a bit of a, a bit of a shock, yeah. Cause he ran the uh, he ran the hog farm the the like kind of the psychedelic drug medic tent in, at sixty nine. Well, you know you know your stuff, bro. The hog farm was a commune, right? And uh, you know he was like one of the head guys there. Uh, they even had ice cream named after him, Wavy Gravy. That was a Ben and Jerry's. 
that that that's correct. And you know, and yeah, he he's been at all the, all the Woodstocks, and yeah, I'm sure that was the thing because I I believe he introduces Mickey Hart on the West stage, and that's kind of yeah, like one, sense. yeah, well, one of like his his few appearances in the pay per view feed. But again, you know, it's like maybe he's the kind of link between all, all three Woodstocks. The only thing that they all really have in common is Wavy Gravy. They're the only well, positive well, thing. Actually, I can't remember as usual '99, but Michael Lang was involved in '94, and he, of course, was the original kid. Right. From '69, he was involved with '94, and I can't remember. He was probably '99 too. He, yeah, yeah, he, he was, and, and him and John Sher, you know, they were kind of the two faces of, of, of the whole deal. Uh, there was a third guy, Ossie Kilkenny, was also, uh, he was like kind of the third head of that. But, uh, you know, they have different ways with handling it. Michael Lane kind of glosses over the things that happened at Woodstock 99, especially, you know, when it comes to the sexual assaults and the looting and fires, and kind of says, oh, it's a shame, but, you know, it was still, there was positive things that happened. Whereas Sher kind of has a very direct kind of in-your-face, like, it was just a couple of assholes, there's soccer riots all the time, this is nothing that's like... So crazy. That's my boy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't take no shit, right? No, I mean John has been a major promoter from day from the day. You know, he, as a matter of fact, John uh, sort of did every Grateful Dead show in the eastern half of the country. Bill Graham would do the west, and John did the east, and he did stadiums, and I mean, he did everything. Yeah, yeah, tons of experience. I mean, the kind of experience that culminates in a festival the size of a Woodstock. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, man, I, I got to tell you, it's been awesome. I, I, I can't believe we got you on. I'll, I'll be sure to send this to you. I, I love that we had you on. Do you have anything you want to plug for the listeners? I know I'm, we're kind of West Coast based, but what, what do you got for us? Well, the only thing I got is I feel bad because I'm, uh, with your introduction of me, believe me, I had a TV show in about 1902. <laughs> when they had to wind them up. I had a friend, one TV show for, that lasted about uh, two, three months, a late night TV show. You know, I'm, I'm a fucking morning show. I've had 35 years of a, of a good morning show. Uh, but I'm nobody, bro. Believe me, I'm nobody. So, <laughs> well, in the in the world of Woodstock '99, and especially our show, Podcast '99, you've been mentioned on more than three quarters of the episodes just because you're so present in all the videos. So it's, it, it's been great to, to talk to you. And I got one more question and it's unrelated, but it's ra- It's a little bit of radio history. Do you remember the disco demolition that happened? Yeah. I know it's Steve Dow, uh, Steve Dow in Chicago. By the way, I gotta be careful, but a lot of people think that Steve Dow, uh, is the guy that Howard Stern got his idea from. Howard likes to pretend he invented radio completely. But Steve Down and I remember the disco deal in Chicago. Uh, am I talking about the right thing? Stop me if I'm not. No, you know, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're, we're covering that for, for a new show, and I figured, you know, while I have someone with your experience on it, I'd ask you about it. Yeah, you should try to get a hold of Steve. I think he retired a couple of years ago. But Steve ran, no, that was his deal. And uh, it ended up crazy. Everybody was going to bring their disco records to the baseball park and then demolish them. But I think there was a summer riot or something. Yeah, well, yeah, you notice a running theme in the things I'm interested in. You know, we're fucking just uh, good-natured fun turning into riots. But anyways, yeah, great. Uh, I hope, you know, I find another reason to contact you in the future. And thanks for coming on the show, Brother Weez. You do a great job, bro. Catch you later. All righty, man. Bye-bye.
How amazing. I literally could talk to that guy all day. I'm I'm sure what we missed in the 70s and 80s is just like culture dump gold. Um, and yeah, you know, at the end there, I wanted to just uh, jump the gun a little bit on a on a potential future culture dump, the disco demolition. But for someone that went to all three Woodstocks, you would expect there to be some gaps in the memory. So I'm I'm in no way gonna hold that against against our guy brother Wee's here, and just how how incredible. I mean, just to hear the voice on the other end of a phone, the voice that I have heard announced so many acts at Woodstock '99, and it's also interesting that yeah, he was at '94 and '69. This is a guy that has the overall perspective of Woodstock more than anyone else I, I feel like probably could. I mean, they're at all three in, in some capacity. So that that was a really nice treat for, for a Woodstock 99 nerd like me. So I hope you guys enjoyed it, and I uh, hope you guys you know in, enjoyed everything that we've done so far. We'll, we'll still be coming out with little interviews here and there and, and little Woodstock 99-related things here and there, even though we are trying to seal this one up and move on to, to culture dumps. But as always, if you went to, worked at, or played Woodstock 99, please contact us at podcast99official at gmail.com or on Instagram at podcast99. I'm Ryan Lichten, and I'll see you at Woodstock.